this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net it's another edition of the education show as we uh, march our way forward into 2021 a special guest uh, this time joining me from uh, the united states of america and I promise we're not going to be talking politics. Uh, the lady who I'm speaking about and who I'm speaking to, uh, she is the founder and CEO of Culturally Responsive Minds. Who is she? She is Jennifer Terry. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And, and for a number of reasons, uh, first and foremost being that I'm fascinated about what you do. But before we dive into what you do, tell me a little bit about Jennifer and about culturally responsive minds. All right. Well, um, I have, my, my name is Jennifer, and I have been in education for over 25 years. And I've taught everything from preschool, early childhood, up through middle school. Um, I've been a classroom teacher. I've been an instructional coach inside schools. And I've been a coach for districts. Um, Culturally Responsive Minds is a company where we are working to develop, uh, help students develop a critical social consciousness. And that's kind of like our goal. And so if we put our work into a nutshell, it's um, that Culturally Responsive Minds is supporting the development of a critical social consciousness so that students and adults are able to recognize and disrupt inequities. Wow. Okay, it, 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 sounds, it sounds almost like one of those things where you go, that's a lofty goal. And then the second thing is you go, why do we need to do that? And the third thing I go is, oh, yes, I see exactly why we have to do that. Talk to me a little bit about this need for us to be culturally responsible. And, and where does that fit in into our education system? That's a great question because culture responsiveness is um, – Really, in terms of education, it's about understanding um, fundamentally what the differences between race and culture, right? And, and you know, you, you think about, I know we weren't going to talk politics, but, you know, you see it exploding all over the world, especially here in, in the United States, that um, understanding who we are and how we view the world is really comes from that cultural piece. And we've created those social constructs around race that really uh, interrupt what we should be doing with students and what we should be teaching students. And so culture responsiveness talks about the idea that um, we view students through an equity, uh, through an asset-based lens, right? So we believe that students bring cultural and linguistic assets to school that we're not, that they don't need to fix anything. It's um, about promoting a decolonized cultural perspective in the school. And it informs the way in which we um, validate and affirm students' cultural behaviors in the classroom. So what we do is we assume that students come into the classroom with a perspective, an idea of who they are, and a way of interacting with the knowledge that, that we're teaching and with the, the students around them that is um, asset-based. So we dig into cultural behaviors that they bring. Um, we talk a lot about the idea of global dexterity. Um, that ability to move back and forth fluently between different cultural behaviors um, without having to give up who you are. Is that, and, and this is where it gets kind of tricky when I start talking about it because um, 
I, when I lead classes on this or work with teachers, I, you know, I can do an entire week's worth of training. So I'm still working at getting my one minute speech down. So hopefully that helps. <laughs> it, it certainly does help. And then it, it's just, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, particularly here in South Africa, and I can only speak to the South African context, we're incredibly culturally diverse. Um, and and we, we literally are a melting pot of so many different cultures. Uh, and on the one hand, I've heard people going, I don't know, I don't know what there is to complain about. We have a democratic uh, government, we've had it for the last 20 years, etc, etc, etc. But there are still cultural differences and, and, and cultural sensitivities that uh, I think we don't get and we don't understand yet. And particularly in South Africa, there, there's still this level of, of fear about not wanting to tread on toes. And, and where do you, you stand on that? And, and how do we, how would we start looking at addressing this in our own country? Well, and I think that the key to this is really getting into understanding what culture is. And we talk about um, that there are what we call rings of culture. So you have, you know, those rings of culture um, are your, like your ethnic culture, your religious culture, your nationality, your gender, your orientation, um, all of those different pieces, age, culture that impact and influence your behaviors. And so if you're thinking, if you, it, it, we kind of use that um, iceberg of culture model where you think about there's some surface things, right, that you're interacting with that's simple to recognize, your food, the music, the language of different people, but really where it gives us trouble, where we start hitting those cultural misunderstandings is when we're digging below the surface, right? Those ideas and values and beliefs we have that inform the way we interact with the world. And so... Um, we could be from the same town, right? We could be from the same country, but we might have different cultural beliefs. And that's what makes it tricky, right? So we can't just look at a person's ethnic identity to understand how to get along or how to relate. We have to dig deeper and really understand things like um, those deeper below the surface behaviors, right? Like how do we view um, friendship? What does it look like when we deal with authority? Um, all of those pieces come into play. And here in Minnesota, where I live, we have, I think we've cornered the market on the idea of the passive aggressive personality, right? Where we we don't want to tread on people's toes, but then we get really uh, irritated about it and talk about it and, and, and behind their backs and kind of, you know, it, it's a very unhealthy way of addressing differences. And that gets in the way here. And I think in other countries, when we can start to look at what are those cultural behavior differences and how do they show up, right? So I can give you an example of this, like just a simple one in the way we communicate. There's, um, when you talk about there's there's that turn-taking talk, right? That, that some families and some places communicate it. I consider that like bowling talk, right? So you pick up the bowling ball, you throw it. It's just one person. You wait until the ball goes down, until they're finished talking. And then when it comes back, then it's somebody else's turn. Mm -hmm. And- in education, that's a lot of the way we do it. But there's this other side, right? This other cultural behavior called, you know, verbal expressiveness. It's like that spontaneous turn talk, verbal overlap. And that's what my family does, right? It's kind of like rugby, where the ball is passed fast and furious. And in this case, the conversation, nobody quite ever finishes. But if you're a turn taker talk, you look at that and you're like, oh, my gosh, they're so rude. <laughs> and, you know, 
And so if you're a turn taker talk, you look at that rugby talk like, oh, my gosh, like I can't even like I don't even want to talk to them. They, they have they, they got issues. And if mm. you're a rugby talk and you're with a bowling talker, you're like, I just want to, you know, poke my eyes out. It's so boring to sit here. And the engagement goes away because you're like they, you know, they don't want to hear anything I have to say because it's just always their turn. So that's what, you know, when you look at those cultural behaviors, that's where those misunderstandings start to happen. And we start making those value judgments, good, bad, right, wrong, that interfere. Absolutely. And, I, I, you know, again, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking when the, when the Black Lives Matter uh, movement came to the fore and, and people in South Africa were going, no, but hang on, you know, you can't just go Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. And it created a huge, huge uproar because there were people going, but you don't understand what this whole idea of Black Lives Matter is. And, and the, the people on the other side were going, but we're trying to say that everybody's life matters and we care about everybody. And it just, it blew up. Where, where do we start? Because I think in terms of education and in terms of, of the responsibility that we give our teachers and our educators in, in molding these young lives, that would maybe be a good place to start. What is, what is your thought there, Jennifer? Yeah, I, you know, I like that. I was reading an article yesterday by a lady who was talking about what should schools say and do now in the wake of all of the, the last year, especially here in the United States with the Black Lives Matter. It's, it's the same here, you know, that, that's happening, that we're, that people are like, wait a minute. And even my own, you know, my own family are saying, you can't say Black Lives Matter because it's everyone. But if you truly understood the way the system was designed, and in this case, you know, we, we, we do this walk through the history of education, right? And the history of our country. And the fact that if you go back, the reason why the social constructs around race were created was really to justify slavery. And so if you take that journey back, you start understanding how we've conflated race and culture. And I think getting back to understanding what culture is and that, that it's the the way in which we view and interact with the world. And that's where our behaviors come from, right? When you talk strictly race, right? You know, that's static and biological. It's those social constructs around it that have created this mess that we live in, right? The ideas that are in everything that we see and view. And so Black Lives Matter is saying, hold on. The, we need to go back and understand that we need to retrace it and really see that, um, the world has created systems and ideas around this idea that if you are black or brown, you are less than. Yeah. And the, that is really this, the construct. That's really what we need to tear down. And if you can change, for me, like my thinking is, if we can talk about culture and really see where the differences are, that they're not in this false construct of race, but they truly are cultural, then we can start to, to develop that ability to recognize when something's coming up that is a cultural difference, right? And if we can understand it's a cultural difference, then we're not assigning it to the fact that that person is black or brown or white. We're assigning it to the fact of, oh, that's a cultural difference. I wonder where that's coming from. And we mm -hmm. see it not as a right or wrong, but rather as a different. Okay, which makes, which makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of, of the cultural aspect of it, a lot of people will automatically look at another person's culture and go, oh, no, they do strange things, they're strange people, whatever the case may be. I know, particularly in my experience here in South Africa, we don't take the time out to understand 
another person's culture, and and that goes across across the color color lines. I mean, that doesn't culture crosses all of that. Where do we start with that though? Is it a communication thing? Uh, yes, I think it's it's several things, and it's definitely communication things. So the work that I do is to start having those conversations with students with children, right? So that they start understanding what does culture show up as and look like, right? And then looking at it from that idea of, wow, there's a lot of perspectives and ways of doing things. And and recognizing that the way that you're doing it, even though it might seem very strange to me, I can look at it through a different lens, not of a bad or weird but different. And, and it's about honoring and valuing those differences, those cultural differences, and seeing that they have value. And to me, that's, that has to start with our, with our kids, right? Because if we can educate them in a different way, when they come up and they're in charge, right, they're going to have a different perspective than we do on this matter. And so for me, I think it's about teaching and communicating it to students and about being able to say, whoa, uh, I'm noticing that this is a this is a cultural difference here, right? That that and and so we studied like the so we have like 16 cultural behaviors when it relates directly to school that Dr. Sharaki Holly um, in his book Cultural and Linguistic Response of Teaching has identified, and those cultural behaviors are where we start with our work um, because we think that if teachers can understand those and if students can start seeing them in each other and in themselves they have a greater understanding and build up that global dexterity so they can interact across differences and be able to say, okay, it's different, but it's good. It's not bad. It's, it's just fine. And we can still be in the same place, still work towards the same goal, even though we approach it from a different perspective. Agreed. Now, Jennifer, one of the things that I've noticed, and I get to talk in, in what I do, I get to talk to people from all across the world. And specifically in this last year, this past year, what was starting to come to the fore more and more was this concept of empathy and this concept of, of a term I'd like to call perspective taking. That is the, the idea of essentially, I suppose, walk a mile in another man's shoes. And that seems to be almost as though there is a shift in consciousness. Is this something that you've noticed and, and, and is it a thing? Um, I think I think recognizing empathy and starting to try and take those perspectives is a thing, not for all, but it is a thing. And it is really one of those key pieces of social emotional learning and understanding that in order to have empathy, you really need to have a strong idea of your identity and how identity shows up in that empathy piece, right? So uh, I, I think it does have a really big place in the work that we need to do. Okay, now, if we move along and, and we look at our, our, our South African context as educators or even as parents, because on the education show, we have a, a sort of a mixed bag. We have students, we have educators, we have parents that all listen. Where, where would one start and how would one start? Well, that's huge, right? <laughs> so where do we start with understanding each other, our identity? For me, there's a couple places. So if you are an adult, it is about learning about yourself, right? It is about starting to understand your different cultural identities and the reasons for those viewpoints you have, right? So it I've been doing this work for about eight, nine years, and I still learn something new every day. And so what I did was I started, you know, working with the foundation that Dr. Holly laid out, like looking at my rings of culture. And so 
we look at like, what is my ethnic identity? What is my religious identity? What is my gender identity, my age identity? And once I start looking in there, I'm looking for what are those behaviors that come up? And as I'm going through, like, like for example, when I talked about that, the, the communication style, right? One of the things I've always had trouble with is when I go into work meetings or other places, when I get excited, I automatically move into that verbal overlap talk because that to me is how I, how I show excitement and engagement. And when I recognized that people were taking that as rude and disrespectful, I started asking myself, I wonder why this is. And I, that's when I started digging into those differences in communication, right? And so really it's about starting to look at, study what is culture, what are those pieces of culture and who am I inside that? What are those cultural behaviors I bring? Andrew Malinsky's book, Global Dexterity is a great book that people can read. So I would say read about it, Teachers need to uh, study it and, and think about how they do school differently for students in order to develop that global dexterity, that ability to be culturally responsive. And parents have that, that need to, right? They, they can learn from their students, but they can also learn by reading and engaging in with others around this discussion. Okay, some, some very sound advice there. And uh, I think I have related the story on, on, on previous podcasts, but, you know, growing up in, in South Africa, I, I grew up during the apartheid era where uh, we were sort of, it was compulsory to go and do uh, national service in the army. Um, I ended up for a long time while I was in the army doing uh, the right duty and the right control, et cetera, et cetera. And years afterwards, uh, I was training tour guides and I, I was sitting down uh, at a campfire opposite uh, uh, an, an African gentleman and we got to talk and we then figured out that at that specific time, we were on polar opposites of, of, the, of the sort of political spectrum on the race spectrum and everything. And what I found amazing is that once you take the time out and you actually start to connect with another human being, and talk with them. And as you rightly said, I think in the beginning, it's not right or wrong, it's different. And as soon as you start to understand that, that connection starts to build. And by the end of, of, of this particular training course, him and I had become firm friends. Uh, is, is, is that a place that we can start with in our schools where we can, we can talk about uh, what, is, what, is, you know, what is my culture, what is my identity? Absolutely. And that's really the, the core of the work that, that I do, right? So we have, we create lessons that teachers bring into the classroom that start those conversations because a lot of times we don't know where to start. And so because we don't know where to start, we don't. And so for education in particular, for classrooms, the, what we've done is created over 300 lessons that support um, students' identity development, understanding culture. And for that K2, it's really about above the surface, right? understanding the differences in music and food and like recognizing that that's culture. But then as you get up into like third grade and higher, then it's digging deeper into below the surface. Like, you know, understanding that we have a first thought about people based on what we see or the experiences we have. And then how do we move to another thought? So all of those things have to be deliberately taught, discussed and learned and shared with each other. Um, so that's really at the core of what we do because if you don't create spaces where you can learn about it, nothing is going to change. You're just, you know, people are still going to, going to default into the social constructs around race that, that drive what we do today. 
The concept is, and and I think it's 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 quite a valid one, and it makes sense to me. So, you know, a lot of us would like to have this, uh, dare I say, this this kumbaya attitude that it'll all work itself out, you know, and and everything's going to be okay. But we don't take that that step. And and to me, uh, particularly again in the South African context, there's a lot of fear. I think around this whole concept of of gender identity, of 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 race, of culture, uh, does fear still play a part in in your part of the world? Oh, absolutely. Um, when I'm working with teachers and we're talking about gender identity, and we've got students that are coming out and saying that they're non-binary or they're transgender or whatever, teachers and parents and people they lose their mind because it's uncomfortable and it's fearful and you don't know, it it creates what they say, like a can of worms. What are we gonna do about all this, right? And so when you start really understanding gender identity and you know, those, again, it goes back to when you start talking about it, when you open it up, when you bring it out into the air, some of that fear dissipates because you, you, you normalize those conversations and you normalize the fact that we are all different and it's okay. And so, we may not be comfortable, right? And in my in my family in particular, religion plays a huge part in the way we view gender and gender roles and how they should be. And it you don't know how to interact and you get fearful about those conversations. But once you open up and you start talking about it and you start having these conversations and engaging in the learning, that fear does dissipate. And no matter where you are, that fear is just that butting up against the uncomfortableness of having to talk about something you don't know or, or, or uh, haven't experienced. You know, it's, it's, it's actually quite amazing because I've spent, and I, as I said, I came from, from that background and I've spent a lot of time working and looking at myself and how I react and what I do and what I say. And the other day we were actually at a client and, and we got talking after we discussed everything. And um, she was saying that she was engaged and, uh, you know, we were talking about him married. And I said, by the way, what's his name? And she looked at me for a second and she said her name. Mm-hmm. And automatically, you know, the first thing was like this, this kind of shock. Uh, 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 but fortunately, I kind of caught it and I'm like, David, that's, that's another trigger because you automatically went to what's his name because that is culturally what you're used to. So it's, it's a big thing and it, it takes work. It doesn't change by itself, does it? No, and that's the thing. Like we have to talk about it. We have to teach about it. We have to learn about it. And that's why it's so critical to bring that into education because you know with the, the things that are happening in the world today, where we make those changes, I think, is has to start with education, has to start with talking with our students, teaching them in school that, you know, all of these concepts and, you know, normalizing things like, you know, asking what's their name, you know, versus his or her. Mm, mm, absolutely. Now, Jennifer, um, we, we're starting to get towards the, the end of this broadcast, but I, I can hear people in my head saying, okay, but that's fine. What Jennifer's talking about, that that would be great for the States, uh, but not for South Africa. We're different. I would tend to disagree with that. What is what is your feeling? And the reason I'm asking this is, is this is are these global concepts that can be taught around the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. It goes into that idea of what we call global dexterity, right? Because 
it's not just in the United States where we have people with different cultural ways of being showing up, right? We, we may deal with it different. We may interact with each other differently than in South Africa. We may approach it differently. But the idea is that those differences are there all across the country. I mean, you can be in England and you're still going to have cultural differences. You're still going to have that idea that, my, that the, 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 the Eurocentric way of being is the right way. And so it doesn't matter where you are. You have to look at where do those, where are we setting those norms from and how do we move into those conversations? Because they matter because people are still not being treated as um, equals across the board. And we're doing that because uh, we don't really understand that there is a cultural difference among us and we're equating it with other things like race. And so I think it's a, it's a global issue and it's a need across every education system to be able to understand and recognize those differences as coming from a cultural place. Yeah, I mean, if I think about here in South Africa as well, just in, in terms of gender equality, uh, you know, we, we'd, like to, we'd like to think that uh, we, we are sort of, you know, we, we, we've got that sorted, but we really haven't. We really, really haven't. And it is, it becomes not a racial thing. It becomes a cultural thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of South Africa's history is based on a very patriarchal sort of society. But Jennifer, in terms of this, if, if somebody's listening to, to this podcast now and they're thinking, okay, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do this. I'd like to start introducing this uh into our classroom, because one of the things that, uh, and, and I believe uh, we actually got in touch with you through uh, Yen Verhoeven, um, and and I, I just love chatting to Yen because of, of her rebel teacher uh, approach to things. But if somebody says, okay, maybe it's not mandated by, by the education boards, but I want to do this, where where would they start? Do, do, could they could they go to your website, for example? Uh, do you have resources for us? Absolutely. So that's that's our whole business. So Culture Response and Minds has a a website that is um, that you can get access to that gives you lessons pre K through twelve that are already set that are already detailed out that have teacher background information. So you're gaining an understanding as you go. So you don't have to know it all before you start. And you can go to our website culturesponsiveminds.com. And you'll see on there now it says CLR for students. CLR means culturally and linguistically responsiveness for students because that's really what the website is about. So if you go there and and look it up, you can get access to the website and get access to lessons to start in your classroom right now. I think that's absolutely brilliant because that's that's the thing you know sometimes we get uh, we get sort of this paralysis analysis we spend so much time trying to figure out exactly what to do and how to do it and how best to do it we never get to actually do it so this is brilliant uh, so Jennifer again it's uh, culturallyresponsiveminds.com yes that's it well I think that's fantastic. And and I think the work that uh, you guys are doing over there, I think is is absolutely amazing and phenomenal. And I thank you so much for coming onto the show, agreeing to chat to us. I hope we do get to chat to you more in the future, because as you said, in terms of that iceberg theory, I think we've only touched the very, very tip of this. And uh, I think there's a lot more that we could get into and talk about and speak to. So uh, uh, on behalf of uh, Zabuza.net and the, the education show, we'd love to invite you back again at some time. 
That would be great. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much. That is the CEO and founder of Culturally Responsible Minds, Jennifer Terry. Uh, remember that website, culturallyresponsiveminds.com. It wraps it up for this edition of The Education Show. To each and every one of you, take care and thank you for listening. That was The Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zebuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.